Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. Congratulations on being one of the lucky listeners who got a ticket in the ballot to listen to us today. I'm Kevin Day and he's Liverpool University's Kieran McGuire. How are you, Kieran? I'm I'm very good. Thank you very much, Kevin. Been down the beach today, uh, frolicking on the grass. No, on the... That's not grass, is it? It's It's sand. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I was I was frolicking with the dog. Whatever it is, it's not grass, Kieran. <laughs> it, it, it might be grass you were frolicking on. It's it's all shingle pebbles down here. Horrible beaches in Sussex, aren't they? Uh, uh, that's why I always go at low tide. Uh, low tide, it's uh, it's very nice. Oh, so low tide is like a seasonally adjusted beach, isn't it, for an accountant? Yes, <laughs> that's quite a clever accountancy joke, there, Kieran. You're, very good. You're more than welcome to use it in one of your lectures. Um, I, I will. I it, promise you. It's uh, it's a very exciting day today, Kieran, because obviously uh, Palace had their record away Premier League win yesterday, and we've got our quiz coming up. And, and I'm always excited on on questions day because I like to judge the mood of the country by the mood of our questions. But we do have a couple of news stories to get through first. And imagine everybody listening at home or wherever you'd like to listen to this. Imagine Kieran Chagran and the angry text I got when Michael Tattersall, chief executive of the National League, stepped down three minutes, three minutes after we finished recording our last pod, and I literally couldn't be asked to go back in and, and do a repeat <laughs> to come for it. So, basically, so we've had we have three days for Kieran. To, yes, this was... Um, it, it, it doesn't seem as though it should have been unexpected, Kieran, but the timing of it was... Uh, yes, I think the, clearly pressure was mounting. Uh, yeah, we, we had spoken to Oliver Ash from Maidstone United. Uh, there was dissatisfaction from some clubs with the way that the National League is is being run. But if, if we sort of broaden, I mean, he 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 had come from the EFL. Yeah. Uh, so if we sort of broaden the scope to where we are in terms of governance of of all the differing bodies. Um, We've got FIFA, where we've got Platini and Blatter. I think we just briefly mentioned this on Wednesday yeah. or Thursday. Um, they are now under prosecution for fraud and, and other offences. Um, of the of the people that awarded the the 2018-2022 World Cups, 10 of them were subsequently banned by FIFA, and lots of them are under investigation. Um, if we move on to the PFA, we've got uh, it, it's being run by 75-year-old Gordon Taylor, who 300 members asked to resign. And a few years ago, it was revealed that uh, he'd run up £100,000 worth of gambling debt. So that doesn't look great. If we move on to the FA, Greg Clark's just resigned. The person uh, who was tasked with finding his replacement, Stacey Cartwright, Uh she resigned because of, frankly, appalling uh, language coming from one of the FA members, who they seem to just sort of give a, a, a free pass to. At the at the Premier League, we've got Richard Scudamore, who got a five million pound uh, golden goodbye, and uh, as uh, and and then the chief executive who was supposed to replace him, well, both Susa, Susanna Dinage and Tim Davy, um, they both withdrew their their applications after initially accepting. Um, and then when you move to the EFL, the uh, Dave Baldwin, the chief executive, he resigned after four months with a, with a very cryptic comment of, it's a very different environment in the EFL to yeah. the one I had in 2016. Yeah. Uh, and then the chairman is, uh, is championing Project Big Picture, which is, is, a, is a snatch of control by, by uh, half, half a dozen club owners based overseas in the main. So... Uh, it, it does seem that, that governance in the game, and I know it's a dull word, um, it is something we can't be particularly proud of. Not, and it's not just in, you know, it's not just domestically, because clearly you know, issues arising in the FAI in Ireland were pretty reprehensible as well. So th- this is where we are. Um, and, it, and uh, you know, we wonder why football's in a mess. Why is it, Kieran, that it's the chief exec of the National League that stepped down when so much of the pressure was on the chair, Brian Barwick? Well, I mean, the, the chairman, in theory, is supposed to be dealing with board meetings and individual club owners. So perhaps he feels that he can sit this one out, or it could be, and, and, you know, and this is pure speculation. I mean, Michael Tattersall is only 45, so it's not as if he's setting himself up for retirement or anything. It could be that he felt uncomfortable in, in terms of the in, of present environment. Perhaps he didn't feel comfortable with the with the very long um, 
letter which came from the National League, and that there are there are factions and disagreements at at the uh, top tier. But, but that is pure speculation. Um, but it, it's too much of a coincidence for this to happen yeah. uh, so shortly after a, a number of club owners had had uh, expressed their dissatisfaction with the way that the National League's being run and uh, were campaigning for, for Brian Barwick to, uh, to uh, be lose, losing his job. Did you ever imagine, Kieran, when we were young, going to see punk bands, that we'd ever reach a stage where we would describe somebody as only 45? <laughs> Can you imagine that? When 45 seems like impossibly old. Uh, our second news story, Kieran, and it's one that it feels like we've been discussing this almost since lockdown began, and it's finally, hopefully, coming to a conclusion. The Premier League and the EFL have agreed that £250 million rescue package. Now, we've got a question on this later on, which I find very interesting, but this presumably can only be good news, can't it? Um, for me, it, it's two cheers rather than three. Right. Um, okay. okay. And and the reason why I say that, I think for for leagues one and two, um, it's it, it's better than the original offer that, that was given by the Premier League, and uh, you know for that that is that is good news. Um, it, it is quite messy um, in the sense that if you're in League One, you're you're guaranteed three hundred and seventy five grand. In League Two, it's two hundred and fifty. And then there's another fifteen million pounds, which is going to be decided on a formula linked to gate receipts. So, so I hope that they don't ask the National League for any tips um, <laughs> in respect of that one. Um, then there's a further twenty million pounds, which is what they refer to, and, and this is this is classic management talk here: a monitored grant. I've got no idea what that means. Um, I, I think it's sort of on a needs must basis. And the the Premier League and the EFL board will decide who is, who gets that in leagues one and two. So in the main, I think it's a step forward from where we are because none of it is in the form of a loan. Um, we have seen some some positive comments from uh, owners, and, and I, I was in touch with with some some clubs, and one of them said, "Well, yeah, we're, we're reasonably happy with it, but we, we weren't consulted, so we didn't really have much of a choice in the matter." Really? Um, I, I know that the the Scunthorpe owner Peter Swan he said it's not enough, um, but but Scunthorpe were were losing large sums of money pre COVID, and I, th- I think we need to be careful what we're looking at here. It's it's a rescue package. It's not uh, it, it's not a reward for overspending, right? Um, so so that was I, I was I was pretty happy with that. When we move on to the championship. There's a little bit more smoke and mirrors here. Yeah. It, it's been packaged as a two hundred million pound loan, interest free, and all of the arrangement fees, all of the setup costs, uh, up to fifteen million pounds to be borne by the Premier League. So, so that looks good. And, and the reason why um, the Premier League uh, are arranging it is because they're a lower credit risk than the EFL. Because you know the Premier League, at least some of the clubs are making money, whereas in the Championship they're all losing it. So, so banks are very reluctant to touch them, as we previously discussed. So then you you go into the detail, and it's up to eight point three million pounds per club, but it can only be used if the club is in arrears of PAYE and national insurance. Now. Some of the clubs have already said, I think, you know, the likes of Rotherham and Coventry as well, hold on, you know, we, we've, we've been uh, washing our face okay yeah, so yeah. far. You know, we, it's not been easy. Um, and isn't this just going to reward those clubs that are poorly run yeah. and who haven't been paying their tax? So, um, yeah, that, that does seem to have some validity. And, and therefore, it could mean that if, if we do have clubs that have already been paying their taxes, that not all of the two hundred million pounds will be used. If, if only ten of the clubs take advantage of this, then it won't be two hundred million pounds. It will be eighty. So it's being dressed up as a two hundred million pound loan, but not necessarily. And then I started to think about a couple of things. Well, this has got to be repaid by twenty twenty four. Well, what's going to happen between now and twenty twenty four is quite a few clubs um, are going to be relegated to League One and League Two. And in Leagues 1 and 2, 
you get the you get very little uh, broadcast money. So it could be that you borrow eight million pounds this year, you get relegated, and you're only getting one and a half million pounds in TV money each season. So th- it could actually be storing up another problem. Um, al- although you know it clearly is a short term issue. Um, so I, I, I tried to sort of delve a little bit further into why was it being set up this way? And, and then I had a word with, uh, with with a somebody who will remain nameless, and they said, well, it's it's the Premier League clubs. They want a bit of leverage in the January window. Because ah. you think about it, if, if, you're a, if you're a championship club and things aren't great and, and you're struggling to pay wages and, and you, you, you might have to go and you might be okay, you might have managed to pay your wages and your PAYE and so on, uh, but it could, could be that you've still got a problem paying the wages and, and you've got a couple of decent players. This would allow those clubs, and let's be honest, you know, the clubs in the bottom half of the Premier League, to go into the January window and say, well, you've got a player who you'd normally be expecting £15 million for. Um, we know that you're struggling to pay your wages. How about we'll offer you 10 or we'll offer you 8 because we know that you've got a cash crisis. So you know, it, th- this, this is where I felt a little bit less comfortable with what was on offer. But you know, it has been approved by you know, the Premier League and the EFL board and they've all signed off with it and they're all linking arms and uh you know you're saying this this is this is the way forwards so th- so that's my take on it it's 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 better than nothing it's certainly i think it's very good for leagues 1 and 2 the championship mm. yeah. okay well it won't be the last time we talk about this even though i said it's over uh so let's get on to questions and our first question kieran comes from gordon gall uh, and gordon asks what on the face of it is quite a simple financial question but will probably have political ramifications because every time we talk about Welsh football we get Welsh factions tweeting us from both sides of the argument but Gordon says would it be financially viable for Wrexham and brackets and Newport County to join the Welsh Football League surely with their fan bases they would be a lot stronger in those leagues and the prize money for almost inevitably qualifying for Europe would be tempting enough on its own um yeah, I think this is this is quite intriguing. If we take a look at uh, TNS, who have been the the Welsh champions, I think twelve years out of the last thirteen, um, yeah, they they have uh, had they have managed to get to the preliminary rounds, of course, of the Europa League, and one year they managed to get the preliminary rounds of the of the Champions League. So that's worth around about a million pounds a year. Now, if you contrast that with League Two. You get a solidarity payment of four hundred and fifty grand, and the EFL TV deal is worth another two fifty. So, so you're better off by three hundred grand a year. Um, but of course, you've got to win the uh, you, you've got to win the Welsh League in order for that to achieve to be achieved. And it, I, I suspect that gate receipts wouldn't be as good because if you've got big clubs coming from uh, you know, elsewhere in the, in in League Two, that they'll be bringing more fans. Um, and it, of course, if you go into the Welsh League, that's it. There, that is your ceiling. Um, I, I'm sure that Wrexham and I mean Newport. I think I think Newport are having a half decent season. I know we're playing them in the FA Cup in the third round, um, and, and they made a lot of money. They've just announced their 2019 results um, yesterday, and, and they made a lot of money from being successful in the FA Cup in 2019 when they started. Um, you know, clearly as, as a League Two club, and I think they beat Leicester and Leeds that season. Um, so, you know, there are implications for entering the FA Cup, making progress in things of that nature. Um, if they were to be successful in the Europa League or the Champions League and made it to a group stage, then that would be a huge game changer. So, you know, that would be the sort of the lottery ticket uh, which they could potentially win. So it, it's an intriguing question from, from Gordon. Um, you know, I, I guess a lot of it is a lot of it's to do with the fact of you know history and heritage, and, and both Newport and Wrexham have seen themselves as as being part of the football league '92, um, and, and that's where they see their futures as well. But if they were to win the uh, the Welsh League, and, and, you know, and of course they have to win it, then then some of the numbers could be could be great. If you get to the group stage of the Champions League, you're guaranteed fifteen million quid for a start. 
Yeah, <clears throat> historically, recent historically anyway, Newport are a relatively new uh, edition of Newport County, aren't they? They went out of business very messily and came back as a, a, a Phoenix club. And the, the Football Association of Wales was so upset with the, the Newport insisting that they take part in the English pyramid back in the Hellenic League, I think it was, they wouldn't let them play in Wales. So for the when Newport re-emerged, they played in Gloucester for quite some time after having travelled half the West Country before that. So the FA of Wales would rather have Welsh clubs in, in Welsh football, which is understandable. Um, we've got a couple of questions about the Glazers, Kira, which I think indicates even all these years on, people are still confused about how the Glazers came to buy Man United and what the ramifications of that deal are. The, the first one comes from Ricky Prince. Uh, Ricky's question is, why was it worth the Glazers paying £826 million in interest payments on an initial principal of £700 million and not as yet having paid off any of the loan? And is the money for these interest payments coming from their money or the clubs, which is a question anecdotally I probably get asked more than any other when, I, when I've been allowed in pubs? <laughs> well, hopefully you're having substantial meals these days. Very substantial, yes. <laughs> That's a shocking story. So the amount of people are wasting food because they order a meal and then don't have it. They just want the alcohol. So anyway, it's just that's a Lun- lunacy, lunacy. Um, well, it, to, to answer Ricky's question, the Glazers borrowed the money in 2005. And at the time, it, it was the equivalent of getting a 100% mortgage so as, as anybody who's ever borrowed money w- will be aware that if you're going for a 100% mortgage, you normally end up paying a higher rate of interest. Yeah. Um, and, and the bankers at the time, um, they were a bit twitchy about lending to the Glazers because they, they were unfamiliar with football. And, and therefore, the interest rates um, were quite complicated. And, and it was a bit like the way that Tony Soprano lends money in that um, they're what referred to as PIK line, PIK loans, payment in kind, where you don't actually repay anything. You, they weren't obliged to repay anything for five or six years, but all of the time, they also weren't physically paying the interest. So it was rolling up on the existing interest. So um, the, the interest charges peaked at around about £111 million in a single year. Um but they, they, they thought, the bank thought, well, we've still got a, a company who uh, is a cash cow. Manchester United have always uh, tended to generate a profit so that they, they, were, they thought that they would get their money back, but they penalised the Glazers in terms of the interest rate. In terms of who's actually paying it, it, it's coming out of club coffers. It's coming out of the playing budget. It's coming out of the transfer budget. Um, that that eight hundred odd, odd million pounds, which has accrued since um, two thousand and five. I mean, admittedly, the interest rates now are far far lower um, than they were originally. Now, whilst not wanting to open old wounds, um, as you know, I, I like a bit of small print, and, and I went through the small print of Project Big Picture, and it did say that if, if Manchester United. Um, did actually get round to spending any money on Old Trafford, and anybody that's been to Old Trafford recently will probably say the thing: it's 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 the theatre of slightly shabby dreams these yeah. days. That the infrastructure's not there. Um, that there was going to be a fund paid by the Premier League to encourage clubs to spend more money on on the infrastructure itself. So it it could be that uh, the United Board have deliberately uh, not spent the money. And this is, again, pure conjecture, because they hoped that Project Big Picture would go through and, and therefore yeah, a significant chunk of any money they spent on, on Old Trafford itself um, would come back directly from the Premier League. Yeah, as we know, the one surefire way of getting producer guy's attention is to use those words, pure conjecture. That'll, that'll nudge him out of his torpor. And Well, Sam Henderson has a question on the same family, and this is a question that I don't think we've ever actually put to you, Kieran, basically Sam's question is what was in it for the banks? If they were willing to provide a loan to pay 450 pence to buy shares when the market value was 300 pence, where was the guarantee they would get the money back, even if they repossessed the club and sold it on? Uh, well, well, there was no guarantee. Um, and, and as far as the banks were concerned, this goes back to this issue of risk. And, and that's why they, they, they charged interest rates, which peaked at 16.25% one year. Uh, you know, you know, can you imagine paying that on your mortgage? That would that would be that would 
turn what what remaining hair we have uh, even whiter than it is at present. So um, that that so the, the glazers did the, the sorry the bankers did it purely from from a risk assessment perspective, and it was only once. Uh, you, the, the, the Glazers managed to, horrible word, started to monetize Manchester United, especially in terms of its commercial income, was that when those rank, when those uh, uh, loans came up for renewal, they said, OK, you've proven yourself now um, and we're prepared to lower the interest rate. But, it, but in terms of the, the share price, I mean, what, what Sam's referring to is what's, what we call in, in the M&A world, the mergers and acquisition world, as a control premium. I, if you want to acquire more than 50% of, a, of a, an existing company, you have to pay significantly more than the existing um, market price of the shares. Right. So the banks would have taken that into consideration. Had the Glazers defaulted, then the banks would have uh, acquired Manchester United and they would have sold it as a job lot to somebody else. Um, so that would have got a significant amount of their money back. And, and presumably, they also had some form of either personal guarantees or guarantees over uh, the, the Glazers' other investments in the US to get the remainder of the money back. Yeah. <clears throat> the the reason I'm not allowed anywhere near my family finances is that if I were, we probably would have a 16.5% interest rate mortgage because <laughs> because he was a Palace fan who recognised me from the pub. I would have that's, that's a good enough reason, darling, isn't it? Uh, Emlyn Riley um, has a Liverpool question to go with that Liverpool name of his. Given that Liverpool have announced record kit sales justifying their court case versus New Balance, are we likely, do you think, to see other clubs switch to other suppliers mid-contract? Well, this is, this is a good one here from Emlyn. Um, th- there is a historical precedent of a club switching kit suppliers, and, and that's Chelsea. In, in 2016, they had a deal with Adidas, um, and they, they jumped ship to Nike. The problem was um, that Adidas still had six years remaining on the contract, so Chelsea had to pay them £67 million in compensation wow. for, for saying sayonara. Um, and uh, the, the reason why they jumped ship was, uh, I, I think originally the Adidas deal was worth around about thirty to thirty-five million pounds a year. Uh, Nike were offering sixty, so so Chelsea got out their spreadsheet and realised that it, it, they were actually better off paying a penalty fee. Um, so so could this go go ahead in the future for for other deals? I think if it's a small club, it's probably unlikely because most small clubs tend to have short-term deals. Um, so therefore, it wouldn't be worth it. And, and it probably wouldn't be worth it for uh, a new kit manufacturer coming in. Um, so that's why they tend to wait to to when those deals expire. Um, if, if we're talking at the elite level, uh, you know, Chelsea, Manchester United, Liverpool, Spurs, you know, Ars- well, Ars- Arsenal aren't there anymore, are they? Um uh, you know, p- perhaps City as well, uh, and certainly on, on the continent with the likes of you know, Barcelona and Real, th- then, y- y- then yes, it- it's something which they would always take into consideration um, on an annual basis. James Newton, Kieran, is an expat living in Houston, Texas, and he tells us, as a bit of context, that he enjoys listening to the show after it was recommended by one of your former students. And I presume by one of your former students, he means one of your former students, because I don't recall. Oh, no, there was a couple. But I don't, uh, I, do you know the student involved, Kieran? Who I, I don't. Oh, I don't, but I'm, I'm very grateful. I mean, you, you, you must have run comedy masterclasses and things of that nature. Uh, in general, I'm a ginnum. So, yeah, I have, yeah, as I got offered money for a couple of them. But uh, uh, it's, it's easier to teach somebody to be an accountant than it is to teach them to be a comedian. Kieran, because uh, in my job you need some innate skill, whereas I think you can probably wing it in yours, can't you? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, t- teaching people to be dull <laughs> is not difficult. Uh, anyway, see, that's good. You see, there's a, there's an actor. It's like some comics who, who pretend to be dull. They're still very funny. You've got that knack, Kieran. Unless you didn't mean to be funny, then. Anyway. No, I didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is it's, it's a complicated dance we do on this. Sometimes, isn't it? And are you sure it's a good idea for to us to let people see our faces tomorrow night on this quiz? Yeah. <laughs> uh, James, this is a very interesting one for James, actually. Uh, and I would be interested in your answer to, to hear what the outcome of this, because James says that 
uh, in Houston, Texas. He can watch every single Premier League game extremely cheaply, including all the three o'clock kickoffs. Uh, he said, even with NBC add-on packages for other sports, it could cost as little as $30 a month, which is, what, 15, 18 quid, I think, isn't it? Uh, NBC bought these rights, he said, for a very low price. Now, was that owing to a poor deal struck by the Premier League in 2015? And will it translate into a huge revenue boost for the Premier League when they negotiate the new deal for 2022-23? And if it is a huge new deal, does that mean James will have to pay a lot more to watch the Premier League in a couple of years' time? Right. Well, let's let's break those down. I mean, NBC paid around about £60 million a season, which... Um, if, if you compare that to the the Scandi deal that's just been signed for for Norway, Denmark, Sweden of three hundred million, it looks like they've got a bargain. But I think there's a couple of key points. Um, whether we like it or not, football or soccer uh, is is a minority sport in the US, and it's the equivalent of you know, would Sky pay a huge fortune for the NFL rights for us yeah. to watch here? In right. the UK, and, and they wouldn't. You know, they know that there is an audience for it, um, but it's not a cord cutter. Whereas, uh, if Sky if Sky lost the the Premier League rights here in the UK, many people would terminate their relationship with Sky. That's not quite the same in the US. And remember, if, if you take a look at sort of the the demographics of people in the US. There's there's a lot of people there with sort of Hispanic heritage. So they would be just as interested, if not more interested, in the La Liga rights as they are in the Premier League. Um, so, so that's one reason why NBC pay relatively little, certainly compared to um, what what they what they end up paying in the US for their their local franchise sports, and then we've got a, yeah we've got a time difference. So if you think about it on the on the east coast, they're five hours behind us, and on the west coast, they're they're eight hours behind us. So when exactly a match is taking place? You know, a uh, a, a four pm match on a on a Sunday is 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 eight eight am in LA and San Fran, and there's not huge numbers of people doing that because yeah, if, if their kids who are interested in football, they're off playing football that time of morning. Um, and so, so that, that is, is another contributory factor. So, so looking at James' concern going forwards, um, will there be a huge price increase in, in 2022, 23 onwards? Um, my, my gut reaction is I think the price will go up a wee bit, um, but it won't be, it, w- it won't be a, a multiple um, so therefore, he still should be able to to watch football um, at, at a relatively uh, re- decent price. I mean, I know people, and of course, I don't approve of their behaviour, who have got uh, VPNs, virtual private networks, yeah. and they use uh, the NBC Gold Pass, I think it's called, um, which costs them you know, 50 bucks a year, and it's purely for 50 quid a year. Um, and they they watch that use that to watch all the Premier League matches. Now that, of course, cannot be condoned, but but it is very good value. What was that expression you used? Cord cutter. Cord cutter. Yes, I've not heard that expression before, and oh, possibly right. not one we should use so close to our Manscaped advert coming up shortly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I said I'll, I'll I'll use that in future, out of context, as I always do with new, all new expressions. Mark Cole. Mark Cole is another American listener, uh, but he is actually American and a friend of the show. Mark says, on a similar topic, in the US, it is very rare to see pundits or analysts working for more than one channel or network. Yet in the UK, pundits and presenters work for multiple outlets. This is purely because they are freelancers and are the deals done by networks, the talent or the agent. I think you should answer this one, Kevin. You you are a you're a professional broadcaster, and you and you've worked across the channels. So I'm going to knock this one back to you. Well, this is this is a this is a proud moment, Kieran. Um, a proud and yet significant. I think this is the first question I've ever been asked to answer, and I'm very good at feigning surprise because I was slightly surprised to see in the list of questions that uh, producer guys edited out the bit where Mark Cole says this is a question for Kevin. I didn't, even get, I didn't even get the satisfaction of reading that out. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's an interesting question because, I mean, 20 years ago, or certainly 30 years ago, we were growing up watching the big match 
uh, match of the day or whatever your regional uh, ITV program was, the the two channels, you simply worked for one channel or the other. You had Jimmy Hill who moved across in a very high-profile deal, but you never you never shared. It's partly because of the freelance. It's mainly because, in the case of people like Gary Lineker, the BBC are happy for him to work for BT because BT essentially top up Gary's wages, if you like, the BBC. The BBC can't really afford to pay golden handcuff deals to keep people like Gary at the BBC just doing BBC work, of which there isn't that much when you think about it logically. If he's only presenting Match of the Day and then World Cups every second year, uh, the odd documentary. So all the channels are kind of happy to keep talent circulating um, because that way they they keep the talent for less money. There, there are very few people, there are very few antidecks in this world who can demand whatever they want to demand, basically, purely to be associated with with the BBC. From the BBC's point of view, PR-wise, most people still assume that Gary is a BBC presenter. They don't associate him necessarily with BT Sports. And it, and it's the same reason why you'll see commentators turning up across the, the channels. You'll see Robbie Savage turning up across the BBC and across BT Sport. It's, it's purely a way of spreading the cost of employing them. And obviously, from the individual's point of view, it's fine because they're getting work and they're getting well paid for it. As for who um, answering questions is more difficult than it sounds, isn't it? You've really got to concentrate, especially when you don't do one of your mind maps like you do. Uh, all I've got is, is I've got literally got an asterisk on this saying, look this up. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's the, the networks will talk to each other, BT Sport and and. Uh, Sky and BBC will, of course, talk to each other because, again, most of the people who work as execs at those organisations have worked together at a different organisation. But it's the it's the it's the agent that will do the do the deals essentially. Uh, Gary, my guess is, and this is only a guess, he's obviously not getting as much from BT Sport as he is from the BBC. But it's it's it, it's it's as simple as that. Basically, it's it's to do with the fact that most contracts in our industry are freelance now compared to twenty thirty years ago. And it's to do with the fact that nobody could really afford to keep the top talent exclusively on their channel. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by Manscaped, providers of the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Now, Kieran, as regular listeners will know, this sort of thing isn't my bag, but it is yours. I'm not entirely sure isn't my bag is the appropriate <laughs> phrase in the circumstances, but... Yeah, you're you're far better placed than I am, Kieran, to tell us about the delights of the downstairs trim. Well, yeah, Kevin, you know, as uh, as both Brighton and Palace fans, we, we historically have taken the rough with the smooth, but but now <laughs> I'm just going to be focusing on the smooth. Um, so, so I, I tried this. It's the it's the Manscaped uh, Lawnmower 3.0 electric trimmer. Um, now. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I approached this with a degree of trepidation, um, but uh, I, I was uh, I was forewarned that it would work well because it's got a it's got a cutting edge ceramic blade. Uh, because the last thing you want is is unexpected nicks. Uh, the only time I want uh, unexpected nicks is when I'm bowling at cricket, um, and so therefore, yeah, this keeps your nuts as smooth as butter. Um, so yeah, I, I like. Uh, I like Smooth Operator by Sade. I, I like Smooth Talking when I'm with my beloved wife. Uh, in fact, the only thing I don't like that's smooth anymore is peanut butter. Uh, and, and my testicles have been added to the list of uh, of things that, uh, that are now uh, very, very pleasant um, and uh, aerodynamic as well. So uh, it's a premium product. Um, the battery lasts up for 80, 90 minutes. So you can take a longer shave, though you'd have to have rode Boysons down there if you needed 90 minutes, if I'm honest with you. Um, and, it, and, it, and it genuinely works, and you do feel um, a little bit trimmer and cleaner down there. So uh, I would certainly say give it a go. And, uh, you know, there's, there's benefits of being associated with the price of football on this as well, aren't there, Kevin? Yes, indeed. <laughs> I'm I'm going to say what I'm legally obliged to say, Kieran, and nothing else, uh, which is if you want to get your sack in shape for Christmas, get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20%. <laughs> I'm going to do that again. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL. Rhodes Boyson. 
on that note, and I hope producer guy has done this deliberately, that the question we have after the Manscaped ad comes from somebody called Jamie Moss. <laughs> uh, which, <laughs> for some reason, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, also, you know, you, you, you know, the, God love our sponsors, Manscaped. They're, they're only too happy for me to admit that I'm reticent about doing that to myself down there, Kieran, unlike you. But in this weather as well, this is not the weather for, for shaving yourself in full, is it? Although we should point out, of course, that the good people at Manscaped are offering a prize for our quiz tomorrow night, which I believe is a, a full frontal photograph of you smooth as an eel. Is that right? Or have I got that wrong? Uh, that, that's just for our uh, select audience. Oh, okay. Not, well, that's not, not the whole audience. That's for the Patreons, is it? Okay. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, any Patreons we've got, we've just lost. Uh, Amy Moss, this is, a, this is an interesting question because it's about a model – uh, of football club that we don't really see in Britain quite a lot. Jamie says, when I last checked, which again, coming off the Manscaped ad is pertinent, when I last checked, <laughs> Bristol Sport owned Bristol City's men and women's teams, Bristol Bears men and women's teams, the basketball team and a motorsports team. If this is the case, what advantages does this offer Bristol City in terms of their operation and FFP? Uh, for starters, says Jamie, I guess they generate some rent. Uh, the rugby team is based at Ashton Gate. But this this model is very much more common on the continent, Kieran, isn't it, where a football club like Barcelona is only one team in a, in a broad uh, what do you, uh, panoply of, of other sporting football clubs, uh, sporting clubs, I beg your pardon. Yes, yes. Well, I mean... Uh... Well, Jamie, the benefits of this is that if you think about any business, you only need one HR department, you only need one finance department, you only need one legal department, you only need potentially one person on reception uh, you know, at the front door. Now, if those costs can be spread between a basketball club, a rugby club, uh, a women's football club, and so on, then that's a way of reducing the costs which are allocated to the institution which is being subject to cost control uh, legislation or, or, or rules within the, the particular industry. So if, if we take a look at Manchester City, for example, um, they have around about you know, less than two-thirds of the number of employees of uh, Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester United, who you would think would be their peer group in, in terms of the, the size of the club. So this is a way of effectively parking some of the costs uh, at the rugby club, at the at the women's club, which isn't subject to FFP and, and things of this nature. Um, and this means that uh, you know, Bristol City Football Club uh, is more able to satisfy the financial fair play rules in their present format. You know, and, and of course, there has been talk about moving to the squad salary cap that we presently see uh, in Leagues 1 and 2. But Presently, um, the rules are you've got this strange £39 million allowable loss for FFP, uh, FFP purposes over three years. So it, it's a way of sharing costs. And if you can reduce your costs as a result of that, as Bristol City Football Club, then uh, the, the chances of being pursued by the EFL uh, in, in respect of a breach of financial fair play is reduced. Thank you, Kieran. Uh, I do know how to pronounce Panopoly. Uh, Aaron Dixon, you remember, Kieran, we mentioned earlier on that there are a number of questions that people sidle up to in a pub and ask me. Uh, Aaron Dixon has got another of those. What's Kieran really like? No, that's not a question. <laughs> that's a short answer. I do get asked that a lot. <laughs> What's he really like? Yeah, he's all right. He's great. Is he, it, it, it's a twat. Is he really sport Brian? Yeah. Um, and Aaron Dixon's question, this is a question that I've been asked several times, and obviously I can't – I give the answer I always give, which is email Kieran or listen to the pod because <laughs> I really am the last person to ask these questions. I probably did know once. But Aaron Dixon's question is, what is the point, says Aaron, of having rules to prevent owners from owning more than one club when it is perfectly legal to do what Man City have done and control an empire, his uh, word, of clubs around the world? Ah. <sighs> Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. 
Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Right. Um, and for some reason, this got me thinking of Empire Song by Killing Joke. I've got no idea why. Um, well, but... I heard that. Yeah, go on. <laughs> yes. Um, the, the, the benefit to um, Manchester City is that it allows you to, to park talent uh, in various places and uh, to have interesting transfer deals such as Aaron Moy went from Melbourne City to Manchester City for nothing, and then Manchester City promptly sold him for 10 million quid. Um, so it, it is a way of, uh, as, as we've just been talking to in, in respect of Jamie's question, of sharing costs, uh, but also allocating revenues to single elements within the empire. Um, but within leagues, if you, I, I took a look at the uh, Premier League handbook this morning, and, and I think this was on page 655, uh, section F1.2, if anybody wants to take a look at it, and I, I wouldn't recommend it, um, but you cannot own uh, more than two clubs within the Premier League, but also that you, a Premier League club couldn't own an EFL club either. So this is to stop B teams from arising. So there was a bit of integrity there. Now, by ownership, it means having more than 10%. There was a time when uh, people were buying 9.9% of, of this, that, and the other. Um, but that, that sort of has died off. Um, so that's so, – and, and, and the, the rationale behind that is, is one of sporting integrity. Um, if you've got two clubs in the same division, one of whom potentially could have a Champions League place and the other one's mid-table – then we know which one's going to roll over yeah. um, and, and lose. So, so yeah, that, that's, that's great. If, if we go to look to see what happens in Europe, um, and I appreciate we could also expand this to outside of Europe, but could there be sporting integrity issues within Europe? Well, we have seen RB Salzburg and RB Leipzig uh, play each other in the Europa League. And uh, that, that, that prompted uh, a very long uh, UEFA investigation. Uh, but what those two clubs had to do was to provide evidence that there was no contact. And this was a bit of an issue because historically there had been transfers between the club yeah. um, to such an expense, extent that um, one of them now says that the, the RB stands for Rassen Ball Sport, and the other one says it's to do with Red Bull, yeah. which which, which, is. which is fine until you look at the logos on their shirts, which appear to be uh, broadly similar. Yeah, it's 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 Red Bull. That 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 ten percent rule, Kieran, interests me because technically Palace have six co-owners: the four original people who rescued the club, and now the two Americans. Is there anything to stop each of those six people at Crystal Palace buying? 10% of another club. So the, so Palace, you know, say Crawley, for example. So Palace wouldn't own Crawley, but the six people that do own Palace would also have shares in Crawley, but completely independently and separately. Is that is that a loophole that I've spotted or is that a ludicrous idea? Um, that, that's, a, that's an intriguing one. I, I think what we would uh, enter into there, Kevin, is what we refer to as related party rules. And... Um, it could be that that would prompt an investigation. So um, that they could buy, own 9.9% of Crawley each, and therefore collectively those six individuals would have control of, of Crawley Town um, as well as control of Crystal Palace. I suspect the Premier League and the EFL would want evidence that this was, that there was no links between the two clubs, and I think that could be quite challenging. Um, but you might have spotted a loophole here. Um, we'll have to hope that some of our legal chums will be able to furnish us with a bit more on that one. I think it's uh, uh, it, it's certainly worth further investigation. Oh, is there somewhere I could go to apply for it to be called the day loophole? If, they, if the, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the only reason I suggest they buy Crawley is to stop Brighton playing their under twenty three games. It annoys me. It's too close to way too close to Croydon for that to be happening. Um, our next question: We still have uh, two, three more to go. They're all good questions. Uh, I apologize. This is from Rose. 
Lawrence, R-H-O-S. And I'm really sorry if I made a ricket of pronouncing that, uh, Ross. Uh, I guess it might be a Welsh name, but please uh, <laughs> please challenge me if I've got that completely wrong. It's a, it's a good question. Could EFL clubs afford to survive without the Premier League, especially with the constant talk of European Super Leagues, etc.? Uh, Ross's theory, and I think it's an intelligent one, is that clubs outside the traditional top six, if they wave goodbye to the you know the, the names we all know, they might prefer to stay in the EFL because they'd all be free of EPPP. Or would the clubs left behind simply become the new Premier League and we'd all start all over again with the same problems? Um, I, I, I genuinely don't know. I mean, presumably, if, if, the, if the big six do decide to, to draw up the, the drawbridge and, and disappear to a European Super League, and um, my understanding is that that is unlikely because they want they want to have the best of both worlds. They want uh, they want to play in domestic competitions and win those, and European competitions because they just want to make as much money as they can. Um, but if they did break away, and remember there was talk about the the big six clubs resigning from the Premier League and joining the EFL as part of Project Big Picture, yeah. Um, where would this leave the remaining clubs? Um, I, I presume that they are still they are shareholders in the Premier League, so they would keep those shares. And what they would do is that they would offer uh, the shares of the six clubs who decided to leave to other parties. Now that that could be on an invitation basis. So they might say, well, look, we need to have as big a competition as possible. So therefore, as we've already got Newcastle in the Premier League, we're going to invite Middlesbrough and Sunderland. And as we've already got Sheffield United, we're going to invite Sheffield Wednesday. And and we might invite Pompey because Southampton are there. And it will be a good way of increasing rivalries and, and making a more intriguing product from a broadcasting point of view and then move to a promotion and relegation perspective. Um, but I, I, I don't think that they would... Um, completely, I don't think they'd join the EFL. I think they'd encourage more clubs from the EFL to join the Premier League. And then presumably the EFL would go to the National League and says, well, we've now got a gap of six clubs. We're, we're inviting, uh, either the biggest bidders or we will, we will have some form of mini competition to, to allow you to come into our league as well. Okay. Uh, Matt Walmsley is a Blackburn fan. And Matt has a short, but I think rather plaintive question. There's a, there's a touch of the tiny Tim in this question, Matt, I think, uh, which, is, which is right for this time of year. Matt says, I read recently that just one season in the Premier League would clear the £150 million debt of Blackburn Rovers. Is that true? No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <Matt. laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll expand upon that because Matt, Matt took the trouble to to write that question. Um, that he's he's absolutely right that Blackburn Rovers would receive a significant increase in revenue. But I, I sort of I, I went into my spreadsheet and I, and I tried to find something which would be broadly similar to, to Blackburn. Uh, sort of in, so in terms of you know the size of of the. Of the of the town and the, the ground and so on, and and the closest thing I could find was remember Huddersfield Town were promoted a few years ago. They did get a lot of extra money, but their wage bill went up by thirty five million pounds. Their overheads went up by fourteen, and their transfer spend was fifty nine million pounds in their first year within the Premier League. So the, the only way that Blackburn's owners, the Venkies, would get money back would be if they deliberately uh, just said, we're not going to spend any money once we get promoted. We're not going to make uh, any effort at all or minimal effort. Uh, and this is the this is the approach that was actually taken by Blackpool Football Club. Um, and Blackpool were promoted, was it, was it 2011? I think they went up, 2010 or 2011. And uh, they, they went up. Um, they were clearly they they were owned by uh, the former jailbird and convicted rapist Owen Oyston, um, and uh, they then paid the Oyston family an eleven million pound dividend or management fee uh, as soon as they were relegated. So uh, that's the only way that it can be achieved. But remember, yeah, that was eleven million pounds 
yeah, say 10 years ago, you might be able to double it, perhaps. You might get £25 million back if, if you made no effort in the Premier League. But I don't think it would go much further than that. Oh, Matt, I can only apologise. I'm really sorry. It's back, back to pressing your nose against this tweet shot window, looking sad. Uh, our penultimate question comes from Neil Cotterell. Uh, and Neil quotes some chancer called Kieran Maguire from oh, Jesus. A, a recent article about the Premier League bailout of the EFL. Uh, the quotation starts here. Aston Villa, Derby County, Sheffield Wednesday, Reading and Birmingham have generated nearly a quarter of a billion pounds from selling their stadia to companies controlled by club owners in 2018. And this was just one of the reasons given why the Premier League should think twice before bailing out championship clubs. Now, this is well-trodden ground for us in the last few weeks, Kieran, no doubt about it. Uh, But Neil says, rather bravely, I think, uh, I thought this was a bit of a red herring, as surely these sales did not necessarily generate any extra cash. Um, Well, they did generate extra cash for the football club. Because what we saw is that, in, for example, when Derby County sold uh, Pride Park for £81 million to, I think it was Sevco 5113 or something like that, um, that, that company did physically pay cash for the ground. The only club that didn't physically, uh, that did sell the ground but didn't physically receive cash was Sheffield Wednesday. So that's the one club that, that hasn't had a cash benefit. Um, all the other ones have had substantial cash injections, which have come from the owners and have all counted towards financial fair play. Oh, sorry, you finished there, didn't you? That was it. Sorry, yes. sorry. I, I'm normally I'm very good at telling you when you finished, but I was uh, <laughs> I was mid doodle to be perfect. <laughs> I, was actually, I was thinking about what to say after the, after our last question. Uh, because I'm excited about the quiz tonight, basically. Our last question comes from John Hurst, and this is a subject we've skirted around uh, recently. We talked about Slatan Ibrahimovic, who's moaning about his image being used on computer games without any payment. Uh, but John Hurst uh, has got to the meat of the matter. How do computer game licensing work? Do you know FIFA, Football Manager, PES, etc.? do they negotiate licenses and image rights at FA level, league level, club level, player level, or all of the above? Um, it, it's all of the above, John, to, to varying degrees of success. So if you take a look at Konami, who do PES, Pro Evolution Soccer, for quite a, a, a long period of time, they didn't have the official rights from uh, UEFA and the Premier League and so on. Um, and, and therefore, it would be names like David Bickham and uh, Stephen Gorard and things like this. But what what they would allow you um, is that they had uh, they allowed you to change the names of players, um, but they couldn't do. They, they didn't used to be too hot on the the likenesses, but you know, the license the licenses can be a bit weird at the best. Um, so if we take a, there's currently as a weird one. So if you do a FIFA twenty one. I believe, um, and you're, you're, you're looking to pick a Juve- uh, uh, an Italian club. Juventus isn't there because Juventus have sold the rights to their name to another gaming company. Oh, okay. So, therefore, you have to play as P- Piemento Calcio oh. as an alternative. Uh, now, whether there's a, 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 an... A, an editing function in FIFA 21. Uh, I'm not sure the Baroness won't let me play uh, these games because she says she... <laughs> I've heard I, that. Yeah. I've heard you <laughs> many times before, Kieran. Uh, on the grounds that she doesn't see very enough, very much of me as it is because I'm, I'm always uh, media tarting somewhere. Um, and, and, if I, and you can imagine me let loose on... Football Manager, and big thanks, by the way, to Football Manager for for their uh, wonderful prize of a code for for one of our uh, for our quiz tomorrow or tonight. Um, so um, it, it is it is it is a negotiation. There there are fees involved on a player level. The players, in theory, are represented by FIFA Pro, um, which which appeared to come as a bit of a surprise to both Gareth Bale and. Uh, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, uh, in in light of their recent comments and and where's the money? Uh, exclamations. 
Yeah, and I have to say this, Ken, I wasn't going to share this with our listeners, but I think they'll be impressed that your media tarting is so impressive that we both did a bit of joint media tarting together on Friday when we were guests on somebody else's podcast. Uh, and you had to leave halfway through to be a, a, <laughs> to be on, to be on something else, which left me to finish the interview. Which is, uh, I I thought your 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 broadcasting spreadsheet must be every bit as efficient as your financial spreadsheet. <laughs> you left you left to the minute. You said I've got to go after thirty eight minutes and blow me. I looked up and you'd gone after thirty eight minutes. Just looking at two confused presenters, I had to say, does it all the time? It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and also talking to media targeting, Kieran, as, as we've alluded to, I'm very excited to say that I, I normally have to wait two whole days before I see you or talk to you after a Monday. But in not many hours' time, we will be getting together to do our first ever Price of Football quiz, which is fun, simple and free to enter for everybody listening, isn't it, Kieran, tonight? Yes. Yeah, it's just a way of saying thank you to everybody for, for all the support you've given us. Um, it has, it has been, um, I hate to use the word journey. So it, it's, 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 it's just been, it's just been a, a, a huge amount of fun from, from our point of view, or certainly my point of view. Um, and without wanting to blow smoke up your backside, Kevin, I, I've learned so much about presenting working from you. So this was a, um, this is just our way of saying thanks to all the listeners. We, we really do appreciate you keeping us uh, grounded, uh, and you know we, we 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 like the fact that you enjoy the show, and we look forward to many more. So we're doing a quiz on Zoom. Uh, we will put the joining instructions out on social media. Um, you're going to need two screens. Uh, we, we'd recommend you know, either use a, uh, you know, an iPad and a phone or a, a PC and a phone. And you'll also need to use the Kahoot app or use Kahoot on your, your laptop or on your PC for this to take place. Uh, there's going to be, I think it's 24 questions. Um, some of them are serious. Some of them aren't too serious. Um, and we've got a, a range of prizes uh, involving uh, our, some of our sponsors, uh, so the, the Athletic have given us some some passes. Uh, we've got a, a very nice, perfect package from our good friends at Manscaped. Um, we've got uh, a code from Football Manager, and uh, th- there's a couple of guys connected with the podcast who who have written books, and we've got some signed copy of books and uh, top Trumps cards, and God knows what else, wh- whatever we can schlep up over the next few hours before the show goes out. But uh, if you want to, if you want to join up, uh, check check our social media feeds. Uh, this, it will be starting at. We aim to start at six forty five. Uh, we can have up to 300 people there. Any any more than three will actually be quite pleased. Um, but uh, it, it, it'll, be, it'll be good fun. And potentially, you'll get a chance to meet our other halves as well, just to prove that we are married to other people and not each other. Yeah, I, I haven't run that past Ali yet. I, I keep putting it off for some reason. <laughs> uh, and it, thank you for saying what you said about... Uh, Presenting, you may have learned a lot about presenting, Kira, but it's become increasingly clear this evening that I've learned nothing about answering questions. Uh, and for those of you who want to take part in the quiz, it, it, it it's semi serious, but if there will be prizes for people who finish lower down, shall we say, it's not just the top three, four people that will get stuff. There'll be prizes given out to people who finish thirtieth, fiftieth, hundredth, depending how many people we get. There will be a special uh, award of a top trumps card game to the funniest team name so feel free to to log in as your your own name that would be lovely because then we can see the people that have asked us questions before but if you want to come up with a name as amusing as as my old quiz team crystal phallus by all means come up with something funny as that (laughs) Uh, uh, and it'll be lovely and i'm actually very much looking forward to it and as i always say um if you want to ask us a question for future pods, then it's questions at priceoffootball.com. We've overrun a little bit, so I'll ask Kieran to do the short two-word message, and I look forward to seeing and hearing from some of you tonight. Stay safe, boys and girls. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
that provides some football. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.